And so um, uh, we can open up with um, prayer requests, and then we can get started with our lesson this morning. So um, any uh, praises or opportunities to give thanks or any requests that we can put forward in this time? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm going to add um, Preston to the list because he like basically won't be with us till like April because he has really extreme allergies in this time, and I know it's just it's tough, you know, extreme allergies. With pollen and oak, and yeah, just yeah, just absolutely miserable. Yeah, so just for you know the encouragement can be tough. Okay. Just for grace there. All right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's open up. We'll go to the Lord, and then we'll get started this morning. Father, we do thank you for this time to draw near to you. That you are. The God who has made us, you are the God who is worthy of our worship, and it is a joy that we can call you Father, that you have made us your own through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it has been through what he has accomplished that provides us a right standing with you, and we now put our requests before you because you hear us, you have adopted us. And you say that whatever we ask in the name of your Son, you will hear us. And so we pray um, that you would uh, give grace by the Holy Spirit to Norm in this situation at work and what is needed there. That Holy Spirit, you would help not only move in, in Norm's heart to rest and trust you, but also to... Um, seek you for wisdom and that you would give him that that needed wisdom that clarity Uh, but furthermore we pray that you would open and close the appropriate doors that he'd be able to keep his work keep his job Um, we need you to act and so we request and put this in front of you we also want to pray for Preston in this time of um, uh, illness with allergies and um, not being able to, to gather. We just pray for grace for him and the encouragement um, and just that you would uh, help him, strengthen him as this can be a difficult season um, uh, when you go through uh, much of this. Uh, we also want to pray for Dave Farrell. Father, just asking that you would 
provide him the needed grace in this time of testing, uh, feeling some of the pressure um, medically and um, needing you to help, to aid. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help him um, uh, and just give him uh, wisdom, give him grace to know how to respond, to continue to uh, trust you in this time. And uh, we do seek you as a people, um, not looking to walk in our own wisdom or our own strength, but looking to walk in the strength that you provide and the joy that you give. And it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen. So um, this morning we're continuing our core seminar, our Sunday school series on uh, living as a church, and this is based on the material from Capitol Hill Baptist Church. So today uh, we'll be covering the subject of encouragement. And so uh, I think it's always helpful as we get started, just as a reminder um, with the purpose <clears throat> of the class. As you see on the top of your notes there, God in his wisdom has left the task of displaying the glory of his perfect character through very imperfect people, us, who compose his church. And in particular, our goal is to understand the opportunities and responsibilities that we have as church members so that real unity will exist and act as a compelling testimony to the power of the gospel. So, encouragement. Encouragement. That's a good thing, right? And uh, I think we all know that as uh, Christians, that's a part of our walk. That's a part of something that we do. We're all engaged in one extent or another in the ministry of encouragement. Uh, But sometimes I think that can be vague, right? Uh, Or to word it another way, uh, is encouragement simply another word for being nice? And um, so as we open, I'd like to kind of put out a question or two questions with all of you. What are some of the true goals of encouragement according to Scripture? Why should we encourage one another? So what is the purpose according to Scripture of encouragement? What is, what is the goal of true encouragement? Well, when it talks about encourage the faint-hearted, mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. To, you know, literally lift the faint-hearted. Yeah, kind of help pull them up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely, that's good. Based off of one scripture. Yep. Is that testimony? Mm-hmm, yep. So as we wade through this life, there's just so many things that tend to, you know, take our eyes off of Christ. So I think biblical encouragement is just encouraging someone to, to remember the things that are true and reorient their eyes toward Christ. You know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so scripture, truth, a reorientation, yeah, from a focus standpoint, yep, yeah, absolutely. If you look at the Hebrews passage, it's, it's redirecting a brother's view from the trials and temptations before him to his source above, mm. and I think that might be best, you know, redirecting our view, each other's view, back to source of our strength. Yes. That's, no, that's really good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that redirection. And that's so important, right? Um, 
because there's so many different forms of things going on in someone's life that can, you know, weigh them down. Um, no, absolutely. I think that's really good. So what I wanted to do is just start with some key texts um, that use the word encourage and kind of work through um, uh, a couple a couple words um, uh, that are used in the Bible um, that have this idea of encouragement and some of the words that are associated or ideas associated with it. And then we're going to kind of work through our outline, right, the challenge of encouragement, the context for change, how to encourage struggling people, and then if time permits, maybe we'll work through some case studies with, um, you know, just from a discussion standpoint, how do we, how do we help in this scenario, how we help in this scenario. So with that in mind, uh, open your Bibles with me, and uh, let's turn to the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're going to look at verse 3 and then verse 31. And then I'll make, again, some of these will just be some, some quick notes as we just do a quick top-level overview uh, of encouragement. And so uh, 1 Corinthians 14, chapter 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And then he's going to say something similar in verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And I think one of the connections I want to help get us back to from a goal standpoint, Paul is connecting this idea of prophecy or New Testament revelation from God. Um, He connects that with learning, upbuilding, encouragement, consolation. So we see encouragement happening in a context of learning and building up and then even consolation or comfort. And so then this idea or principle I think we can take is revelation or prophecy or scripture is needed for encouragement. I think we had a couple people kind of say that orientation towards truth, right? Using the word to help build them up. So now turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. So go a couple books over to the book of 1st that or uh, to the book of 1 Thessalonians. A couple books to the right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and look with me in verse 12. We can start in verse 11. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And then we'll look at one other text in 2 Thessalonians, and then we'll make a note about uh, what Paul's doing here. So one book over, 2 Thessalonians, the end of the book, chapter 3. Let's look at verse 12. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So I think uh, from... From a note standpoint, um, look at the words or the commands or the, the verbs, the verbs of action that are associated with this word encourage. We see these ideas of command, exhort, charge. And, and I think all of that is related to our walk in the Lord. Uh, and, and then also um, um, uh, 
how that relates to one another, right? Paul saying how he was connecting with his brothers to encourage and exhort and, uh, and even um, uh, uh, charging them um, to walk uh, in a way worthy, right? So then I think from another purpose standpoint, encouragement also, not just directing us towards Scripture, but then also there's this, there's this application to life, right? We're thinking about what does that mean for us to walk worthy or walk in obedience, so then also look with me in 1 Timothy. So just go one book over, and then let's go to chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And so right now we're looking at some key texts where the word encourage is used. And a majority of these are, are, are the same um, Greek root word. So let's look in 1 Timothy chapter 5 in verse 1 and 2. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. That's interesting. This word here, rebuke, is actually, it's a very sharp, critical, strong, almost like an attack. It's a, it's a, it's a very you know, strong, pressing type word. And so Paul's contrasting um, this idea of really kind of coming at someone, right? Really head-on, um, uh, very strong, right? Uh, he's contrasting that with this idea of, but instead, don't come at them, you know, combatively, right? Come out and come alongside and encourage them, right? In whatever truth that's going to be appropriate to that context. So lastly, let's turn to Hebrews. The last of... Um, what we'll look at with the word encourage. So Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And let's look at verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. And so I think Paul here, Paul is making, or I'm sorry, the author of Hebrews is uh, informing us of a contrast. And it's this idea, instead of withdrawal, right, you know, neglecting the meeting of yourselves, instead there's this drawing near, but then the drawing near has a purpose, right? What's the purpose of drawing and coming together corporately as a church? It's to encourage one another, right? And then that's where you see verse 24 kind of interacting, stirring up one another, to love and good works. And so I think we get an idea kind of, and, and again, I think what we opened up with, I think you all kind of captured a lot of that really well, right? The reorienting of ourselves to the Lord, how that relates to one another, right? And then uh, how the word is central in all of this. And so there's, there's I think, two key words that are used in, in the Bible or, or in the New Testament related to this idea of encouragement. Uh, and this one is used um, a couple times in uh, 1 Thessalonians, um, uh, Paramuthelmai, which, which has this idea of more of this like comfort or consoling or consolation. It's used in John 11 when Lazarus dies. And then they comforted Martha and Mary. And so it has that idea, right? You're coming alongside of and this person, right? There's just a lot of struggles and you're just... You're there, you're consoling them, and you're comforting them in that sense. But then I think the more predominant word is this word 
parakaleo, which, which has this idea of calling to one side, or what would later, you know, have this idea of summoning, right? You're kind of coming and calling alongside, and so, and then this word, you know, over time is, is really, um, this, this idea comes of uh, several different uh, concepts. Um, in the Old Testament, it, it would have this idea of comfort in regards to grief or loss, kind of similar to what we just said with the case with Martha and Mary, uh, but there's also uh, encouragement, and then also this idea of, of an advocate or a counselor or someone who would defend, right? And then the implication is the weak, right? The, the people that are defenseless, right? And so those ideas also kind of carry over into the New Testament. But we also get this idea of aid or help, right? Which is kind of implied in an advocate or a defender. And then we see more, almost more predominantly this idea of urging or exhorting, right? It's almost like this like preachy, um, really application-oriented. There's a sense of urgency or necessity, right? That's kind of laid out. And so all of this is kind of tied in. Um, and maybe just as like a, another example, maybe some of you are all familiar with, um, maybe you have heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit as the parakletos. Uh, maybe, you know, that, that might ring a bell. So, and so that's the same root word. And it's that the Holy Spirit, like in the ESV, it's translated as the helper, right? But it has this, this really um, sweet and powerful image, right? Of someone who is coming alongside us, working in us, helping us, uh, advocating for us. And so, um, so I think some of those ideas, right, are, um, are, are associated when we think of this idea of encouragement. Encouragement is kind of one aspect in some of this broader range that we'll see. So now... I think that's helpful for us to look at words where the word encouragement is used. So now turn with me to Colossians 1.28. I kind of want to look at this last text where the word encourage is not there, but I think it's a concept that's implied, and it just kind of helps put the cherry on top from a purpose standpoint. Um, so Sorry, I'm flipping there. So Colossians chapter 1 in verse... 28. And maybe we'll have someone read Colossians 1, 28, uh, if we get any volunteers. Yeah. And we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Perfect. And, and so it shows that goal. So proclaiming Christ, and then that idea of warning, or in some translations you might see admonishing, um, and with, with this purpose of presenting everyone mature in Christ, right? That, that's the ultimate goal, is that we want to be helping, like we said, orienting ourselves to Christ and helping present one another mature. So those are a lot of texts and concepts, so let's wrap that into a nice, sweet, simple definition. And the one that was provided from uh, Capitol Hill I thought was, was helpful. Encouragement is this, caring for someone else, usually including speaking biblical truth to them with the goal of that person's growth in godliness, as you see there on your notes. And so we say um, usually, right, because there, there are certain contexts where you can encourage someone without words, right, and it might be like providing a meal or just being there with someone, 
right? And so, but generally speaking, right, it, it's normally going to have words, right? Encouragement's going to come from what's spoken. And so, that's a big responsibility. That's a massive responsibility, I think, that we have in how we serve one another. Encouragement has this purpose towards holiness. Um, and, that, and that's because we, we operate together, right, in our struggle against the world, the flesh, and then the temptations that the devil, right, as the ruler of this world. And so this has implications for what that means for us as a body, kind of rooting us back into living as a church, right? What does that mean then for us as a body? Now, um, so Des kind of covered this last week with, with, um, with discipline, right, and that idea of... Um, uh, uh, um, you have the, the corporate aspect, right, which is, you know, and then you also have this um, discipline idea of, of, of your own personal discipline. Um, but that, that corporate idea of, of confronting explicit sin, right, we kind of talked about that last week. But, but in reality, I think, um, and, and as, as we all know, uh, the, our, our lives are made up of so many decisions, right, in the day. And, um, and so our encouragement um, is going to be needed because of all the decisions that we make day by day and and what happens or what doesn't happen and so that I think um, uh, we want to help like we said continue to keep reorienting ourselves because there's so much I think that challenges us and or discourages us so, um, so we kind of laid out the, 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 the outline, right? So we're going to tackle right, the challenge then of encouragement, or maybe if you would, another way is to say forms of discouragement or background to discouragement. And then uh, we're going to talk about uh, what is a healthy context for change, right? Where we help one another. And then um, we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians 5.14, right? That fourth section. How do we encourage struggling people? Where I think that provides like a helpful filter or a helpful paradigm that uh, Paul lays out for us. So the challenge of encouragement. What makes this difficult? What makes encouragement difficult? And so there's two things we're going to highlight, and then at the end we might discuss a couple others, but for time's sake I think we're going to keep it to two. So I think the first one is that uh, we need to be reminded and to see that our struggle is at a heart level. And we've kind of hit on this in several lessons, right? That the Lord isn't interested in just behavior modification or the, simply the changing of externals, but really engaging us at a heart level. And, and so even in this scenario, right, when we think about encouragement, we need to think about it at a heart level. And so I'm going to, um, uh, I want us to look at... Um, uh, four, uh, four verses, uh, and so in Proverbs chapter 4, uh, just from an orientation standpoint, I think this is just so helpful. In Proverbs 4.23, hear this. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. And I think that's just a reminder that the heart is involved in everything. And that's why whenever we're tackling a subject, we need to be going back to the heart level issues associated with it, right? Because, because I think of what's spoken there. 
So then I think there's a second component, right? If you will, let's look at Jeremiah. So turn with me a couple books to the right uh, to the prophet Jeremiah. Maybe a text that's familiar. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. And so if, if Proverbs 4 is kind of like the, um, that, that ultimate text, you know, whether it's, it's related to good or bad, Jeremiah 17 is kind of like that text really related to that, the, the evil that's found in natural man's heart. So read with me in Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so then at the, right, at the heart level, we see, like as what's spoken there, um, um, that the, there's this deceitfulness and, um, and sinfulness, sickness with the heart. And, and even us as believers, right, even though we're regenerated, given the Holy Spirit, we still have the remnants of this old heart, right, that the Bible calls the flesh. And, and that's still a war that we rage, right? We still struggle with that, that, that sinful aspect of the heart. And then turn with me, lastly, to the book of James. It's interesting. Um, so, uh, if you will, James here shows us that, um, uh, that the evil desires of the heart are both the cause of temptation, as we'll see in verse 14, and the cause of conflict. So, yeah, all the way to the farther end of the New Testament. So, James chapter 1, and let's read verse 14. James chapter 1, verse 14. Or actually, we can start, let's start in verse 13. Let no one say, James chapter 1, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Right? So where is the cause? Right? It lies right here. And so that's where we need to operate. And then just real quick, you turn to the right, right in chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions or pleasures are at war within you. Right? And so what's the cause of conflict? Right? It's inside. It's, this, it's at this heart level. So then, um, uh, again, I think that from a, um, uh, or to word it this way. So when we find that our brothers and sisters um, are making decisions that don't align with their identity in Christ, we know that the problem isn't primarily an externals or a behavior, but we know that it's the working out of the flesh, the sinful desires that still are in our own hearts. And so, um, and, and then I think um, uh, as we're in relationship with one another, our temptation can be to see right, our relationships simply from a behavior format like, uh, man, so-and-so did this, you know, I need to go talk to him. Hey, bro, you shouldn't be doing that, right? And we kind of think in this action, you know, visible realm, which, which, is, which, which we don't want to discount that, right? But we just always need to go back and say it's, it's, that's not the level where it starts, right? And we want to always help not only ourselves but others just from that orienting ourselves at the heart level. So then what are some implications, I think, as a result of this 
that are helpful that are that are helpful for us to consider. And I think first one is that God is the only one who can truly change the heart, right? And so then I think you know if if that's true, right? Then what we work off of is that prayer needs to be at work, right? If God's the one who works, then we need to go seek God in prayer. And so I think that is really important that we are instruments, but instruments that right, are always going back to the Lord. Holy Spirit, please be working in his heart so that you would shape, you know, help change that desire and let it be reflected in X, Y, or Z. I think another implication is that when we encourage others, um, we need to be aware that we too can also be tempted. Uh, right? That's that idea from Galatians 6.1, right? Almost like the warning, right? As you're coming alongside and helping one another, make sure that you yourself aren't tempted. And so we need to be aware of that as we're trying to encourage another brother or sister in the Lord that uh, we, are, we to ourselves don't become tempted, right? Or discouraged. Uh, and then lastly, um, we know that the goal is not simply therapeutic, right? That it's, I want you to feel um, good. Yet we do want our brothers and sisters to be joyful in the Lord. And so that means that we're not simply looking for behavior modification that makes them uh, feel better, right? Now, again, ultimately, yes, we want we want our brothers and sisters to have joy in the Lord, but again, that's going to be going, making sure that um, uh, uh, at, at, that it happens at a heart level, that our joy is found in Christ. So, so then, secondly, I think the uh, another strong challenge is, like you see on your notes there, hollow and deceptive philosophy. So let's turn turn with me. To the book of Colossians, kind of all over this morning, so I appreciate the, uh, the page turning. Colossians chapter 2 in verse 8. Colossians chapter 2 in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And to use this terminology, we are all philosophers. We all create philosophies of meaning in our lives. What matters? We answer the question, why does this happen? What's worth living for? Right? We all answer those questions, and in a sense, we're all philosophers. And the reality is, we know what the right answers are, right? The struggle is to live out in light of what those answers are. And so that kind of leads us into uh, this really interesting thing um, that, uh, that uh, the guys from Capitol Hill brought out from this book um, from Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp called How People Change. And in the book, they talk about this concept called a gospel gap. You, you may have heard it under a different category or heading, but I really like the way that they kind of pulled some of this stuff out, right? Where 
Not only is the truth of the gospel something that we believe, but then it's something that's reflected in the way that we live out our life. And when our life becomes inconsistency, inconsistent with the truth of the gospel, we're now creating this gap, if you will, right, between belief and behavior or belief and lifestyle. So, and I think the thing is, we all go through these different forms of gospel gaps. And so, uh, and the reality is, is that's because we're, we're operating at some level of a mixture between truth and then the empty or hollow or deceitful philosophies that this world is constantly propounding, right? This world is propounding what our values should be. What are the things that we should delight in, right? It's, it's always trying to conform us, right? When we go back to that idea from Romans chapter 12, right? Do not be conformed to the world, which, is, which has got, you know, conform, conform, conform on full blast, but instead be transformed. So there's seven of these, and let's, let's look at them here um, uh, uh, quickly as we look at these substitute philosophies. So the first is formalism. And this idea is, I participate in regular meetings and ministries of the church, and so I feel that my life is under control. I may always be in church, but it has little impact on my heart and how I live my life. I may become judgmental and impatient with those who don't go through the same motions I do. Christianity is being in the right place, going through the right motions. Right, so that's formalism. So if if, uh, so, this, so the second one would be a close cousin of legalism. And that's this idea of living by rules. Rules that I create for myself, rules that I create for others, and I feel okay when I keep my own rules and others keep my rules. There can be a sense of arrogance uh, um, and then, uh, or bitterness when others don't meet the standards that I set out for them. And really, joy becomes sapped out of my life because grace really isn't operating, right? Grace isn't really operating at that heart level, right? There's no grace to be celebrated. Um, So then third is mysticism, which is this constant pursuit for the next emotional experience with God, right? Kind of like that next moment and then next moment that I had with the Lord. And so then I'm living for moments where I feel close to him. Um, and then uh, if I don't sense that presence of God or that emotional element, then the Lord is far from me. And so it's kind of living with this emotional high. Next, this idea of activism, uh, which is, you know, I'm getting excited about Christianity practically outworking on so many social elements, right? Writing wrongs, helping others, um, and so um, this all happens, and I base my relationship with the Lord with all of these activities, and yet my heart might be far from the Lord. Um, then there's biblicism, which can be reducing the gospel to a mastery of biblical knowledge, right? How much I know... Um, is uh, it forms my relationship instead of that I know the Lord and walk with Him. And so then there can be this impatient from those uh, who know less or who you don't see are on the same level as yourself. 
Sixth, there's this idea of a therapeutic gospel. And that's how we talk about Christ, how he's a comforter, he's a healer, he's a savior. And yet, um, I'm sorry, um, uh, you know, healer, comforter, helper. Uh, but then we, we don't look at him as this savior from sin. And that uh, the greatest problem is not, you know, um, uh, what we feel or what we're going through, but that Christ has objectively uh, taken away sin. He's done that through um, through his cross work for us. And so then Christianity simply becomes a way to get problem free, to have a happy life. So lastly, this is uh, funny, yeah. This is, uh, we can call this socialism, but right, not in, the, not in this political, yeah. I say that that's like a buzzword, right? Yeah, some people are triggered right now. So uh, yeah, socialism in a non-political context. Um, and that's this idea where I, I've got deep fellowship and friendships with so many people in the church where uh, it's almost replacing Christ himself, right? Where I'm just there for people and uh, I lose or Christ really kind of drops out into the backdrop. And so the gospel becomes reduced to a network of fulfilling Christian relationships, and so I think there's, there, there, there's, there's some truth in each of these empty philosophies, and that's where the challenge is, where it's going to be that mixture. And we need encouragement to help correct that faulty thinking, to help reorient us, right? And then to help even display that in the way that we, we help one another, right? As Paul says in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Right, and I think there's even other forms of discouragement, right? We have disappointments in the Christian life, uh, doors that the Lord closes, weaknesses that we can experience, whether it's physical, emotional. And, uh, and I think all of these too are appropriate challenge, uh, challenges to... Um, uh, to, to being encouraged. Yet, I think for time's sake, um, we're just going to keep it to those two. So then, what's an appropriate context for change? So, turn with me to James. So, let's go back to the book of James. James chapter 5, in verse 16. James chapter 5, in verse 16. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And I think there's two things that we can take from here that help form a healthy culture of encouragement in a local church. The first is a willingness to reveal struggles, and secondly, a willingness to listen and help when others reveal their struggles, right? So there's this, you have this one side, which is, you know, part A, I'm revealing, part two is I'm coming al alongside and I'm coming with you, right, to help meet you in that time of struggle, Nothing I say in this class will be of any use if you're not willing to reveal your struggles to others and if you're not close enough to others 
to know when and how they need help. And I just want to repeat that. Um, Nothing in this class that I say will be of any use if you're not willing to reveal your struggles to others and if you're not close enough to others to know when and how they need help. Right? So the Lord has given each of us this ministry of dependence, right, or dependency. And the way that you go about fulfilling that with one another, um, I think, you know, that, that, that's up to you, right? There's different ways that can be formal, right, in some formal ministry of the church. It can be informal with a brother that you go work out with and you guys talk and encourage one another or a sister that you get together with. So I, I think that can happen on, on many different levels. But the reality that it's going to come back to is, we each have this, right? We're in the body together, and we're each called to serve um, as a way that we can, we can help one another. But then I think that leads to, to, to this second idea, right? Which is um, serving those with struggles and really seeing that as a ministry of opportunity and not as um, a form of uh, like, like a weight or a burden. And that, and that can be tough, right? Because normally... Each, each struggle comes with it, you know, different components. But I think to, to see that as an opportunity where we can come alongside someone and say, you know what, there's an opportunity where I get to help bless this person, right, and strengthen them. And, uh, and I think that can be really helpful and even look at that as like a stewardship. Hey, this is how I get to help serve. So uh, any, any questions up to this point? Now, those, those seven items, the, the seven gospel gaps and true, there are bits and pieces in there that are true. But as you were going through them, the first thing that came to my mind is this is where cults are. The, you take any one of these to an extreme. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, the hollow and deceptive philosophy, th these are serious items. Yeah. If we, if we see a brother or a sister coming, you know, you know moving in that direction, that there is a terrible trajectory for sure, that word. Yeah. No, it's interesting you bring that up, right? Because like you said, I think there's, and there's a spectrum with it, right? When you take it to its extreme form, I agree, it does. You, you'll end up in cults because you'll be so predominated, right, with this one thing where kind of the, the, the rest gets blurred out. Um, and I think the struggle is, or the, and, and, and the reality is, this all happens to us at, at one point or another, right? We, we go from formalism and then we're looking for this mystical experience, right? We kind of, we can bounce, right, in our own hearts. Then we're always, I think, trying to not only keep our own hearts guarded and checked, but then being able to encourage our, our brother, our sister in the Lord um, uh, to help, right, if, if we see or sense, right, a sense of struggle and, and conversation and whatnot. You know, excellent point, though. So then, um, so then point four, how to help encourage struggling people. So turn with me to the book of First Thessalonians. Let's go back to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter five. And, and, I, and I really appreciate this. I remember, um, I don't remember if I, was, I think someone was either preaching or teaching and they had brought up this text, I think in the um, context of like counseling. And uh, man, it just brought like a whole new light, um, uh, you know, like a light bulb turned on, if you will. You're like, yeah, you really, you can't just do like a one size fits all. Like you really do need to understand 
what people are going through, where they're at, and make sure you give them the right, you know, medicine, if you, if you will, you know, that you're not, you know, prescribing something that's not warranted. So in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, or the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And so, this is interesting, right? Because you've got, you've got three categories of people. You've got the idle, or again, this idea of, of uh, unruly or unsubmissive. Then you've got this other category of the faint-hearted, right? Um, um, who, are, uh, who have um, just like that, uh, you know? And then there's also the weak, right? The weak that have, um, where there's a real sense of, of struggle, maybe a continual struggle in a particular area. Um, and so, so then I, uh, I appreciated um, what the guys from Capitol Hill did here, where they were bringing out that there's, there, there's, I think, three general principles that can be used to apply to each of the three situations. There are three principles that kind of carry or the undercurrent with each of them. And so I think on a, on a first category is speaking Scripture to them. And, and we want to be careful here, right, where, where we don't see relationships as I listen to give you a Bible verse, right, because sometimes we need to be patient. Sometimes we need to wait, right, like Job's counselors. They're like, slow down, right? So there, there's wisdom here, but I think as a general principle, from, from speaking to one another, um, we do. We, we want, uh, kind of going back to some of those passages we read originally, where we were seeing the word encouragement used, and we saw how it was so much oriented with the word, with truth, right? And helping to gird our brothers and sisters there. Um, and so... In order for us to speak, we need to listen. We need to be there. We need to, um, to, to understand what they're going through, what they're feeling, and not just quickly um, jump in or speak or just throw a Bible verse or, hey, why don't you just go for a run? You should feel better. You know, very, you know, it can be, feel very artificial. Um, secondly, um, I think in each of these scenarios, uh, there should be an encouragement to meditate on the good news, to think about the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord. And let that really, like, uh, again, we brought this up originally, right, with the purpose of encouragement, this reorientation back to the Lord. That's where our eyes and our hopes should be. And so when we think about what Christ has done, the reconciliation and adoption that we find there. Thirdly, there's also this uh, concept of um, encouragement that can come when we identify and affirm one another uh, by seeing evidences of the gospel at work in their life, right? We're like, bro, I have, I, I've seen how the Lord's, you know, worked in your life. And again, we, we don't want this to be uh, superficial, you know, but, but we do. We want to speak genuinely and sincerely, like, I have seen how the Lord's done this in your life. I've been encouraged something we can take into prayer and thank the Lord for his work, right, as he's performing it, and this brother here, this sister there. Uh, in fact, right, we think of um, 
and, and, and at times, right, it might be tough for us to feel like, well, how am I going to encourage this someone? They're really struggling. And uh, that can be a temptation, right? We're like, uh, man, this person's really struggling. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're coming, but you can just really sense there's a, there's a, there's a struggle. And it, it can be helpful for us to be reminded of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 1, when Paul's about to really lay out so many issues of carnality, right? And the outworking of the flesh and the work of the church in Corinth. And he says this in verses 4 and 5. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given in Christ Jesus to you, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge. And so there's a giving of thanks for what the Lord's doing in their life um, that even Paul can say before he goes to to encourage them in the way that they should be walking uh, in the manner that's appropriate. So... We might have time for, um, uh, for maybe, uh, <clears throat> actually, you know what, um, we, we do have the case studies, but instead of, I think, just trying to work through them um, quickly, uh, instead I'd like to just open it up, because um, I don't want us to go over, we can just open up to um, uh, any comments or uh, discussion or thoughts as it relates to encouragement or any of the challenges that you face, right, whether it's in your own heart or, um, you know, as you're trying to come alongside, you know, your fellow, your fellow, uh, fellow Christian. Um, well, I remember I was uh, a few months back talking to a friend who claims to be a Christian and um, doesn't really go to church that often, though. And uh, him and his wife were having problems and uh, he wanted to talk to me and he was thinking about, you know, divorcing and, you know, he was talking to this other girl just that he was interested in a bit. Um, and I was like, I'm really ill-equipped for this. I was like, I'm not married. I really don't know how to speak into these things. Um, but I just remembered, like, the Word of God does speak into these things. And so I was just taking things out from Scripture and telling him what covenant was and the importance of it and how God is honored through marriage. And I'm talking him through some of those things and um, also the feelings that he had and what I've heard from other brothers who are married who have told me things. And so... Um, you know, praise God, they're still married now, and it seems like they're doing a lot better. But yeah, the Lord really helped me in that situation. Yeah, and I did feel really good. Yeah, yeah, no, I, and I think um, I I can really resonate with that too, right? That that idea where it's like, man, I don't feel sufficient, you know. But then you're like, all right, but I I want to help, you know. And then you're just trying to think of the way that, yeah, like you said, we get we get into the Word to help encourage and point. Absolutely. Um. Yeah, Norm. When you said um, the, the time to listen, um, there is such a thing as lament in the Bible. Mm. It's a book by that uh, title, and a third of the Psalms had to do with lament, but it's like grief. you got to go through it, and mm-hmm. then on the other side, there's hope. Um, and also, I can think of uh, the verse in 2 Corinthians 6 that says, sorrowful, and Paul was very, very sorrowful. Yes. Yeah, I think sometimes, like, just to that point, I think sometimes, uh, and I, I am particularly prone to this, 
if you ask my wife, it's like, uh, I'm, I'm like notorious for it. It's like, you know, someone will lay out a problem and I'm like, boom, you know, I got an answer, a solution, or I'll be like, oh, praise the Lord. And they're like, why would you praise the Lord for that? You know, I'm struggling here. And you're like, all right, I probably shouldn't have, uh, yeah, I probably, you know, jumped the gun there. Um, but I, but I'm, I'm with you though, that it does where people aren't ready to, to hear because they're grieving. And so we appropriately need to account for time to lament where the best thing for that is just to be there with them, right? For you to say, hey, I'm with you in prayer and, you know, anything that you need, you know, I'm here. And just that presence can be really helpful until they're ready. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, like you said, the, the balance there is really critical or important in just being able to assess like, hey, this is appropriate to help speak in, you know, and I know this person or, hey, do I just need to be there right now? Yep, absolutely. I think also just reminding them like with asking questions and different things that it's okay to sit with certain things or wrestle with certain mm. things too. Because I think we're caught up in a culture where it's like instant. Yes. And it's like done with and I just need to get over this. And it's yep. Like, Yes. Whatever it is. Um, so just reminding them that, like, of course, don't stay stuck there, mm-hmm. but, like, it's okay to be where you're at. Yeah. Others have been there before. There's no, um, I don't know what scripture it is, but it's, like, it's common to all the brethren around the world. Yeah. Like, and that's something that we forget when we're in it. We're either just so quick to, like, want to get out of it, or we have the mindset of, like, this is going to be it forever. Mm. No, it's not. Yep. One way or another, it's going to change. Yeah, we're a people of extremes, yeah, in that sense. Yeah, I was listening to a sermon actually earlier this week, and it was on that very idea of just waiting on the Lord. Um, uh, be still and know that I'm God, and just being able to wait, right? Not, not being in either one of those extremes, and how hard that is to just put it before the Lord, trust Him, and then, you know, wait. Which, yeah, like you said, we're not, as people, we are not like that, especially in our culture. impact of uh, words fitly spoken mm. uh, of word encouragement um, saw a Facebook post from a co-worker and she's cleaning out her safe and she has handwritten letters from our director who's been deceased 12 years oh wow and then the whole page her blew up we all have our handwritten letters I haven't worked for the company in eight years mo- and three quarters of people at but those handwritten letters and his handwritten specific and um, we all still have our letters hmm. it's, it's amazing and, and that's in a secular corporate world how much more if we can give a, a piece of scripture to someone uh, or, or, or sit and pray with someone that in, in the scheme of eternity we don't know what that seed we planted yeah. has done yeah. yeah No. excellent point well, I think with that, we're, we're just at time. So maybe we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and close and just thank the Lord um, for our time to gather and, and get to worship. Did you have your hand up uh, for us? Or? I did, and I'll try to be brief. I think, you know, when 
there's been sin or someone's lost their way or there's ill health, there's a great tendency towards depression. Mm. And the bottom line is always a spiritual base. And I would encourage everyone to visit and study the writings and sermons of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Mm. Oh, yes. The doctor. That's one thing. The other thing is that during this class, I kept thinking of Psalm 42.5, which starts out, why are you cast down, O my soul? Mm-hmm. And why are you in turmoil within me? Mm-hmm. The answer is, hope in God. Mm. That's, it's this, this is someone talking to itself, but I shall yet, uh, I shall again praise him, my hope, my salvation. Capsulized version, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah, that reorienting back. Yeah, where is our hope found? Yeah, that's where, we take, that's where we take our joy. Let's go and thank the Lord for our time. Father, we do acknowledge your grace at work. We thank you. The encouragement that we have is ultimately rooted in the gospel of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and how we struggle to take courage in this world, um, uh, living for you with all of the pressure that can come um, not only uh, outside, but also within our own hearts. And so we thank you, knowing that the victory is ours in Christ, that we are more than conquerors with him, and that you will give us the grace we need by the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would bless the rest of our corporate worship this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen.